Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. We do not have any good martinis for you today, I'm sorry to report. We do have a bad one, though, and two crazies, so stick around for that. We also want you to know that we're sponsored today by Honey. That's joinhoney.com slash martini. Much more on that brand new sponsor in a little bit. So, Jim, let's start with our bad martini now and back to the gun debate that inevitably ensued following the horrific shootings in El Paso and Dayton over the weekend. And a lot of the usual uh, folks who are advocates for gun control have weighed in on this. And there's been a few other people who generally don't weigh in who feel like they've seen enough and they're now coming around to at least some of the gun control agenda. Uh, President Trump, for example, has been uh, more open to background checks. You've got Congressman Mike Turner, whose district includes Dayton, uh, being open to an assault weapons ban. And that's also where we find Fox Business host Trish Regan, who tweeted this on Wednesday. At Real Donald Trump has a major opportunity. He can ban assault weapons and invoke strict gun laws and background checks in one executive order. To heck with the lobbyists at the NRA. The majority of Americans and common sense supports this. It's time to do what is right for our country. We need to ban assault weapons, except at shooting ranges. There's no place for them in today's society. Period. If it's a sport, go practice at the range. No need to keep them around the house. So, Jim, there's a lot of different things here. She got into a dust-up with uh, Dana Lash, uh, who I should point out is a host here at the Radio American Network and until very recently also had a, a show on NRA TV. Uh, so and people react to horrific events in different ways. And it's not surprising that some people who had either been uh, uninterested in wading into this debate or perhaps didn't feel like going public with their gun control views are now doing so. But the fact that she has no clue how policy changes for someone who's got a major position in a news organization that's a baffling and, and kind of troubling. President Trump can't ban assault weapons and invoke gun control laws and background checks in one executive order. Where did we get to this point where people don't know how things change? Yeah, it, it really is kind of deeply frustrating. Maybe she, you know, maybe she knows and just thought putting out that tweet would get a lot of retweets and likes and, you know, you go girl and, and lots of positive responses. Maybe she wanted to poke the bear, so to speak, of gun owners and Second Amendment uh, advocates and folks like that. You do kind of wonder, though, why do you think the founding fathers set up a, a system of government that has a separation of powers, that requires legislation to pass both the House and the Senate, that requires either a presidential signature or a veto-proof majority, and then, of course, has to pass uh, muster with the Supreme Court if somebody argues that it violates the Constitution? You know, we set up a system to make changing laws. Uh, now, the great irony is, that, you know, you're like, oh, my God, Jim, that's so hard. And yet we pass lots of laws every year. So you can do this. You know, it's just there is not a, a consensus for this. I keep seeing gun control advocates insisting this is popular. And if you ask people in a poll question, maybe they are. But for whatever reason, people don't vote this way. The vast majority of, at least for up until very recently, we can argue about whether 2018 represents some sort of uh, turning point. But for a very long stretch, a lot of people who were pro-gun control were kind of nominally pro-gun control or, or wishy-washy pro-gun control. They liked it, but they weren't particularly likely to vote on that issue. It wasn't the driving issue. By comparison, gun owners 
vote on this issue. This is very important to them. People who support the Second Amendment are not in a mood to compromise and are not wishy-washy about it about it all. But there's a really fascinating map of, of, of kind of looking at recent election results that I think indicates a great deal. If you look at people, do you have a gun in the home? Uh, and you limited the election just to that, Trump would win every state except, I believe, either, either Vermont or New Hampshire. Right? It was one of those states up there. So in other words, if you are a gun owner, the, the odds are extremely likely that you voted for Donald Trump. Uh, if you're not a gun owner, you are much more likely to have voted for a Democrat. I think that I might have been West Virginia was that one exception state. But the, you know, so this is, this is very much a dividing line amongst our two parties. Um, so you want to say to this person, if this is so popular, why do you think this law doesn't get passed? And of course they say, well, the NRA and all the lobbying money. Now look, anybody who's looked at this issue, like you know, members of Congress are not going to vote for a bill that their constituents hate, or they're not going to vote for a, a bill that they know, they're not going to be on the wrong side of the majority of people in their district in order to get some campaign contributions. Because those campaign contributions don't do you any good if you've just pissed off everybody in your district. This is, this is politics 101. This is very basic here. You know, it's not the NRA money that members of Congress fear. It's crossing their members. Because at last check, they had about 6 million members, and those folks vote on this issue, right? It's not just that they're a lot of members, and you know they write a check once in a while, and they're all happy about it. They care about this. So that's what's going on there. But there's this bizarre irritation of, why do we have to waste time with the legislative process? Why can't I just get the policies I want with some phrase from the Clinton years, stroke of the pen, law of the land, pretty neat, huh? Uh, if I remember that quote correctly. There are people who are very irritated with the process of working in a constitutional republic, and that should frighten the heck out of us. And it's deeply frustrating to see this philosophy and attitude taking root, even in major newsrooms and even at Fox Business Channel. A couple of follow-up thoughts here, Jim. First of all, uh, as much as I don't agree with Trish Regan, as far as I know, she hasn't been called on the carpet uh, at Fox News or forced to apologize or, or anything. And you see other folks at the network, like Shepard Smith, uh, being pretty negative towards the president on a regular basis. You think if uh, a host over at CNN or MSNBC had trashed the gun control movement or sent out a really pro-gun, pro-Second Amendment tweet that there wouldn't have been some sort of backlash internally against them? That's a very fair question to ask there. I think it was Alapandit Hot Air who was diagnosing this and said, do you get a pass on this uh, from the traditional viewers of Fox News if you argue Trump is powerful and strong and he can take direct action like this and he should, right? This idea, because look, it's certainly not like Trump has any issues with uh, you know, putting more power in the executive branch. Certainly not like he hasn't tried to you know, change policy as much as he can through the executive order process. And the flip side, you know, that that kind of gets you a, a pass from certain folks that you're just, you know, well, the president should be hand making policy all by himself is not inherently a statement that would irritate people who traditionally support the president. It should. <laughs> we should always value constitutional government more than we value any particular president. But uh, no, I think a lot of people are perfectly comfortable with the idea of making. I remember if, um, right when Obama changed his mind on the dreamers and he decided by executive order that he was going to make these big changes to immigration reform and immediately they went to court and fought over it. But I remember the likes of Sheila Jackson Lee uh, were coming up, they held a press conference to announce other potential executive orders that they wanted the president to write and sign. You know, we used to, you know, traditionally members of Congress would introduce pieces of legislation <laughs> to do that sort of thing. But that's, that's gotten too hard. It's gotten too boring. It's gotten too difficult. So instead, we're just going to say, no, I wish the president would do this and completely ignore the branch of government that I'm in. 
Exactly. That reminds me of the Michael Bennett tweet over the past couple of days that, uh, you know, he's never going to be president. But it uh, it was kind of refreshing where it said, uh, if you elect me, you won't see me for two weeks at a time. I'll let you live your life and I'll show up when I need to kind of a thing. That's the approach you should have towards the president. Now, both parties are kind of looking at the president as the end all be all. The other thing here, and you kind of got the close to there when talking about Obama, is her phrase here that, Common sense supports this. First of all, common sense is not a person, so common sense uh, cannot have an opinion. But uh, that's the way that Obama in particular, and others have uh, latched on to this, is that, well, these are common sense gun reforms. This is common sense health care reform, common sense whatever reform. And therefore, if you disagree with me, you don't have common sense. And so this discussion really ought to end with what I want to do. Yeah. In their minds, common sense gun reform means banning uh, ways to transfer weapons that were not involved in any mass shootings, like the so-called gun show loophole. Exactly. That's not common sense. <laughs> That's uh, I've got a solution. It doesn't really apply to the problem we're talking about, but I really like this solution. So I'm going to shoehorn this in there anyway and hope nobody notices. Oh, Jim. All right, let's move on to uh, honey. Let's talk about ways to save money. You ever buy something online only to find out later you missed a discount? Well, don't overspend anymore. You don't have to, thanks to Honey. Honey is a free browser add-on that finds you the best deals online. The app magically auto-applies the best deal to your cart at checkout. Honey finds discounts and coupons across 37,000 different sites. And it works with Amazon, Sephora, Best Buy, Nordstrom, and more. Honey has saved its 10 million members an average of $28.61. Honey members have already saved more than $800 million. Not bad for something that's completely free and takes just two clicks to install. Look, there's no reason not to use Honey. It's free to use and easy to install on your computer, and it just takes two clicks. Even the computer illiterate can do this. So shop with confidence. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com martini. That's joinhoney.com martini. Honey, the smart shopping assistant that saves you time and money when you're shopping online. All right, Jim, the president of the United States, as we enter into our first crazy martini here, has a lot on his plate. There's a lot of challenges at home. There's a lot of challenges abroad. There's a lot of things that should consume his time and his agenda. And yet, once again, the president of the United States is spending time talking about commuting the sentence of former Democratic Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. Now, for those who don't remember, Rod Blagojevich was elected twice by the people of Illinois as their governor. And then in 2008, the state senator, one of them, Barack Obama, was elected president of the United States. So therefore, since Barack Obama's term did not end that year, the governor was in a position to appoint a successor because Obama was going to be president. Well, Rod Blagojevich wasn't just looking for the best person with the best resume who might do the best job serving the people of Illinois. No, no, no. He wanted something in it for himself. And so, of course, this infamous conversation took place because, of course, his phone was already being wiretapped on other corruption suspicions. I told my nephew, Alex, he just turned 26 today. I said, Alex, you know, I called for his birthday, and I said, it's just too bad you're not four years older because I could have given you a U.S. Senate seat for your birthday. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I've got this thing, and it's golden. And I, I'm just not giving it up for nothing. I'm not going to do it. And, and I can always parachute, use it, and parachute me there. I thought to Fred about that. You, you know, there's life after that if I do it. 
So Rod Blagojevich was prosecuted the first time there was a hung jury, so they prosecuted again. He got sentenced to a lot of years in prison. Ultimately, he appointed Roland Burris, most famous for his uh, co-starring role in The Fugitive, to uh, fill out the Obama Senate term. And uh, Jim, now the president is focusing on a possible commutation. Here's what Steve Herman over at Voice of America tweeted out as Trump's direct statement about Blagojevich. Quote, I thought he was treated unbelievably unfairly. He was given close to 18 years in prison, and a lot of people thought it was unfair, like a lot of other things. And it was the same gang, the Comey gang, and all these sleazebags that did it. And his name is Rod Blagojevich, and I'm thinking about commuting his sentence. He's been in jail for seven years over a phone call where nothing happens. Over a phone call which he shouldn't have said what he said, but it was braggadocio, you would say. I would think that there have been many politicians, I'm not one of them, by the way, that have said a lot worse over the telephone. His wife, I think, is fantastic, and I'm thinking about commuting his sentence very strongly. I think it's enough. Seven years. So, Jim, there's so much you could parse from that statement, but what do you make of Trump circling back around to this case? Well, you know, besides, you know, whatever your thoughts on Jim Comey, was prosecuting Blagojevich <laughs> one of the quote-unquote sleazeball things? Wouldn't you put that in the good pile? That's, you know, okay, so that, that's pretty, oh. But the, the, this, you did mention this, this this line in today's New York Times that really kind of jumped out at me. Quote, Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and senior advisor who has internally championed pardons and commutations. And long time, by the way, interrupting the quote, longtime listeners will know I generally support criminal justice reform. I thought the prison anti-recidivism programs were terrific. I was happy with, you know, all that kind of stuff. But quote, had suggested Mr. Blagojevich be pardoned, quote, advising the president that it would appeal to Democrats. First of all, find me somebody not named Blagojevich who would say that, you know, commuting the sentence of Blagojevich would, would you know, uh, would make them happy, would strike them as the right decision that has, you know, been going to bat for Rod Blagojevich as a guy who's been unfairly tarred. And, you know, he had his day in court. He had his, uh, he had his trial, a fair trial and all that. But remember, Jared Kushner was also the one who reportedly told President Trump that he could win over Democrats by firing Jim Comey. That didn't really turn out the way. <laughs> I, in fact, yeah, I try. You know, there, you know, I know that there were Democrats who were fuming about Comey and the way he handled the investigation into Hillary and the announcement right before 2016 election. And, and, but really, in the end, no, it did not win over Democrats. You didn't see a single Democrat say, "You know, I got a lot of differences with Trump," but you know, he fired Comey. So I guess, I guess maybe I misjudged this guy, or maybe I've been a little too hard. No, that, that didn't happen at all. You know, if Trump does this again, you know, decided to commute the sense of Blagojevich, you're not going to see Democrats saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I know we've been calling the guy a white supremacist. I know we've been basically saying this guy is the devil. And I know that we are actively trying to impeach him and remove him from office, even though we're getting closer and closer to election day. But if you're going to but if you're going to commute the sense of Blagojevich, we've clearly misjudged this man. Clearly, there's something much. You know, <clears throat> there is a goodness to his heart. There is a noble spirit to this president that we have overlooked. And clearly, we need to rethink our approach to this president. No, it's not going to happen. And um, you just kind of wonder how Kushner could misjudge, you know, like, what, what's it? Once in happenstance, twice is uh, uh, whatever the Napoleon statement that eventually <laughs> becomes enemy action. That third piece of advice from Jared Kushner about what will appeal to Democrats has got to be a real humdinger. <laughs> 
Just doing a little research here, Jim. Um, while Jim Comey was at the Justice Department between 2001 and 2005 and was involved in uh, getting Patrick Fitzgerald to be the special counsel in the whole Valerie Plame fiasco, he was in the private sector from 2005 to 2013, which would include the entire surveillance time of Rod Blagojevich as well as the prosecution. So while we don't have a lot of things nice to say about Jim Comey, pretty sure he had nothing to do with this. But uh, what the heck? That, that is something not nice to say about him. I've already given credit for that. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's kind of this like, you know, all of that darn Department of Justice template that Trump just kind of shoehorns this stuff into whether or not it fits the actual facts or not. Amazing. The one thing everyone agreed on, we actually talked about this a little bit yesterday with uh, Bill de Blasio's low approval ratings, where most people don't like him regardless of party. Rod Blagojevich getting removed from office. There was literally one person across the House and Senate who didn't vote for his removal, and that person was directly related to him. So uh, the one thing that everyone can agree on, Trump's got to get his hands dirty in this now. Unbelievable. All right, let's move on to our final crazy martini now, Jim. And it's been a pretty somber week here on the Three Martini Lunch, so let's uh, let's add a little bit of levity here. Bernie Sanders is running for president again, of course, and he made his way to the Joe Rogan podcast, and they talked about a lot of things for over an hour, but the last 30 seconds went to the area that so many people are interested in, depending on who gets elected president. Hey, are you going to spill all the beans about aliens? Here's the question, here's the answer. One last question. If you got into the office and you found out something about aliens, if you found out something about UFOs, would you let us know? Well, I'll tell you, my wife would demand that I let you know. Is your wife a UFO nut? <laughs> no, she's not a UFO nut. It's just, Bernie, what is going on? Do you have any access to the records? You don't have any access? I don't. Honestly, no? I don't know. Okay. You'll, you'll let us know, though? All right. I'll be on the show. We'll announce it on the show. How's Please. That? All Please right. You got do. it, Joe. All thank right. you, sir. appreciate your time. Joe, thank you thank very you much. Thank you very much. Jim, why is everybody so obsessed about aliens? I mean, if the aliens wanted to start a college, maybe his wife could be uh, very interested. But, uh... <laughs> you know, does it say something about Bernie Sanders that this answer to this question might be the least loony thing he said? <laughs> so there are a couple things that jump out about this. First of all, like of all the reasons you could oppose Bernie Sanders, I saw some headlines about this that made this sound a little worse than it was. No, I don't think you can take from that. Bernie Sanders believes in little green men. No, I don't think Bernie Sanders is going to join that crowd rushing Area 51. Uh, <laughs> we talked about a couple of podca couple podcasts ago. Um, I don't think he's you know crazy or, or waiting for the aliens to arrive or, or anything like that. No, but it is kind of interesting. Thing, the interesting thing there is it sounds like his wife is kind of into this stuff, and I don't think you're necessarily – a crazy person if you wonder if uh, alien life exists, if it's ever contacted Earth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the interesting thing, that it sounds like she's asked him about it, and he's a U.S. senator. I'm not, I don't think he's on the relevant like national security committees or anything like that. But you know, you assume that if you're a U.S. senator, you've got a certain amount of security clearance. You know, this would be the sort of secret that you know, he'd be able to get access to some information. And it means at some point, Mrs. Sanders has said, Bernie, are there aliens in Area 51? Did we find a UFO at Roswell back in 1947, recover the bodies? And is that how we have reverse engineered things like uh, uh, stealth technology and night vision goggles and stuff like that? And, you know, at some point across the breakfast table, you know, with his Cheerios, Bernie Sanders had to say, dear, I don't know. I will look into it. I promise. I'm getting to, uh, every time I ask the generals about that, they laugh at me. So, you know, um, I wonder if that's an awkward comment. I wonder if like Mrs. Sanders think Bernie might be holding out on him. <laughs> <laughs> 
I myself have concluded that, you know, as much as exciting and as many good episodes of X-Files that has uh, inspired and all that kind of stuff. One, I've always been a bit of a skeptic because it sounds like, at least from these, you know, types of stories you hear, that for whatever reason, when the aliens come, they always go to some completely remote backwards area, pick up a guy named Floyd, he's always alone, right? It's always, it's always some guy. They then, you know, start probing. There's always probing involved. You'd think they'd be much more interested with all the other things that human beings can do. But apparently our colons are what really fascinate them. And they decide to take their good look. They put the guy back. He's got some weird amnesia or something. He starts to tell his story. And then apparently, like, um, the, the you know, as if these stories were not self-refuting uh, uh, or self-mocking itself, there's then some sort of secret government agency which sends guys who only can buy black suits. Like, the first <laughs> moment you're a man in black and you start hearing about the rumors of the man in black, you're telling me the morning staff meeting, you know, say, hey, everybody, get a brown suit. Get a blue one. Get something. Just vary your, your wardrobe just a little bit just so no people recognize, oh, guy in a black suit, sunglasses, black hat. Look out, he's going to have a neuralizer. It's totally going to be that way. All of these stories are exactly the same. And there's never once that the, you know, if you're an alien, you're going to come down like, I don't know, maybe you want to catch the Olympics. You know, humans are all around, see what we're fully capable of or something. Or, you know, spring break in Florida. You know, they, they never once do they say, hey, you know, hey, you, you see what's going down in that, in that corner of Earth? They're playing the Super Bowl, man. Let's go check that out. You know? <laughs> no, no, it's always let's go. Let's go probe Floyd again, because, you know, they apparently never get tired of that. But uh, so there's that aspect, which I've always been a little bit skeptical of. Um, then coupled with the fact that I mentioned this before. Look, if we had any deep, dark secrets about knowing about aliens, wouldn't Trump have tweeted about it by now? <laughs> You're telling me you tell Trump that, and at no point is he like, Mr. President, what are you doing with your phone? No, 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 no. Fast it's out there. You would not believe the Grays. They're amazing people. Can't wait to build a casino on their planet. So, <laughs> so many questions here. First of all, uh, if there are aliens of the type that we see in popular culture, do they also get free tuition? That's, that's an important question for Bernie. <laughs> I do not believe in excluding illegal aliens from our culture. There is no such thing as an illegal alien. And if they do come, and they are hostile, as many different movies have shown us, I'm still relieved that President Jack Nicholson, Tom Jones, and Jim Brown are all still around to help us thwart the threat for anyone who's seen Mars Attacks. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, the, other, the, the scenario that, because you always you see the aliens, we beat back, the, either the aliens take over and we're playing a, you know, yeah, dystopian resistance type uh, type storyline, <laughs> or it's like Independence Day, and and you know we win, and then people kind of forget about it. I know they made a sequel to Independence Day, but nobody saw it. <laughs> you never really think about like what, how does life go on after aliens have invaded, we've beaten them back, and then you know, and then what happens? So I believe Saturday Live back way back in '96 uh, or so, Bill Pullman hosted the show. Bill Pullman, best known for playing the president in Independence Day, and giving that, you know, inspirational speech or something. So they did a sketch about Bob Dole running against the president from Independence Day as he ran for re-election. And he made the argument that, look, our cities have been destroyed. Uh, we've had millions killed. Um, we have crashed spaceships all over the place. Or, you know, we've had a lot of, you know, our entire military forces are wiped out to the point where we need to Randy Quaid in a, in a, in a crop dusting plane or whatever. I guess he was in a regular plane. Original script, he was supposed to be the crop dusting plane. Um, you know, to, to finally make that last shot against the aliens. But I think if you look at my overall record, the average American has benefited. 
which Bob Dole responded, the average American is dead. <laughs> yeah, that's the scenario. Nobody ever really thinks, how do you go back to presidential politics after the alien invasion? Yeah, you know, that's everything. That, that's the one thing this week hasn't happened, Greg. So um, <laughs> it's only Thursday. <laughs> it's only Thursday, but I'm out of here soon. So uh, good luck, America and or humanity. I'm on vacation. So. Oh, very nice. Lucky you out uh, tomorrow and all next week. Jim, have a wonderful time on vacation. We'll try to hold down the fort till you get back and we'll talk to you a week from Monday. I say good luck and keep away the aliens, Greg. <laughs> Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And tune in again Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.